I learned that I really got bit by that travel bug mm -hmm. and got bit by everything is possible. And so it was just one of those progressions. And when I finally graduated from high school um, and went to college, there was never, an, there was never ever a time that I wasn't going to make my goal ever. Welcome to the Crossing It Off podcast, where we believe living with intention through a bucket list lifestyle is a great way to bring yourself personal joy. As you are crossing items off your list, you're actually filling up your bucket. The more items you cross off, the more joy gets added, until eventually your joy spills over into the lives of those around you. Now let's start crossing it off together. Does Wonderlust drive your bucket list? Today there's lots of different options that provide cheap and affordable travel. You can pet sit someone's dog in a foreign country. You can house sit. You can do workaway.info and work 25 hours a week for someone and then travel the rest of the time. And in today's world, you can even work remotely from wherever you want. But back in the day, it wasn't quite that easy. Today's bucket list storyteller describes how she took on a lifestyle and a mission for herself that helped others and allowed her to travel. We're going to learn what she did and how she accomplished this. And is it still relevant today? Let's start crossing it off. I'd like to introduce my guest, Carmen Leal. And she describes herself as down to earth, energetic, engaging, and funny. Carmen, welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, we're glad you're here. Tell the listeners, what did you cross off your bucket list? I joined the Peace Corps. Simple okay. as that. Well, my understanding and my research is it's not a very simple thing to do. So but before we get to that piece of it, what was it that uh, inspired you or got your mind thinking, okay, I want to put this on my bucket list and cross it off? I was living in the Midwest growing up. I was in eighth grade and okay. someone from my high school, well, from my junior high, she came back to speak at an all school assembly and she had gone to the country of Niger in Africa as a Peace Corps volunteer. And when she spoke, it just inflamed the desire for me to do that. It was one person making one speech. And what was what did you hear that, that made you feel that inside of you that you're like, oh, I'm going to go do this? Because it wasn't in Kansas. Okay. No, really. <laughs> no, I, because I wanted to travel. Yeah, and I'm from the- grew up. In a family of eight kids in a two-bedroom yeah. house, very, very poor, uh, family vacations, we're getting in a, a broken-down car and hoping we made it to Kansas City. So for the <laughs> idea of actually getting on a plane and going to another country, that just just seemed like something I could, I could never achieve. I grew up in the Midwest, so I totally get it. I totally understand. Uh, we did venture to Florida uh, from Indiana, but but that was about the extent of the travel that we did, and that was to go see the mouse. So you know, I understand that that piece of it. What are the people around you? You're young. You're you know, you're not even out of high school yet. What did your parents think? What did your your seven siblings think? What what was the reaction from people around well, you? I, I wasn't even this? I wasn't even in high school yet. Oh, so geez. Okay. When I came home and I announced it, both of my parents were like, you can do this. You mm -hmm. can do this, which I really appreciate having parents who thought you could achieve any goal. That's amazing. My little brothers were like, well, who's going to cook for us? <laughs> <laughs> That's what I did. Uh, the neighbors were like, yeah, whatever. But I went to the school counselor and I said, this is what I want to do. How do I do it? 
And I was so lucky at that time that school counselors actually went beyond drug use or sexuality or all the myriad of things that school counselors have to do today. They got to be a counselor. Yeah. And that really was pivotal. And that started the whole journey. Yeah. You're you're very lucky because even today, it's not even about those things you mentioned. It's more about getting into college and finding scholarship money Yes, because that's what school cares about. So um, they don't do much of the other stuff either (laughs) anymore. So that's great that you had those influences in your life to be able to promote you to do that. So what was the response from her? How did you, you know, accomplish this task of joining the Peace Corps? From my understanding, well, it's pretty complicated and it's, she's, it's she said, um, the first thing you have to do is go to college. I said, I can do that. But we were already in a family where every kid was expected. And my mom became a single mom. Well, she was a single mom prior to that, but I was, you know, active in my dad's life as well. Eight kids, single parent, growing up literally in the ghetto, all eight went to college. Mm. So I have the backing that a lot of kids don't have. I said, well, how do you go to college? You should take um, AP classes. I can do that. So I studied and I got into the best classes. You should become a reader. I can do that. Mm. You should learn a foreign language. Okay, I'll take French. I don't know why, except that woman went to French West Africa. So I took French. Mm -hmm. Maybe you should think about being an exchange student. Well, how do we do that? And I became an exchange student to Sao Paulo, Brazil with the AFS program. And I live with a family and I learned, I really got bit by that travel bug Mm -hmm. and got bit by everything is possible. And so it was just one of those progressions. And when I finally graduated from high school, um, and went to college, there was never, an, there was never, ever a time that I wasn't going to make my goal ever. And I just followed those steps. Learn to be a good writer because you'll have to write an application. I can do that. Learn to eat weird food. You will eat weird food. Mm-hmm. I will do that. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah, that's great. So the actual process of, you know, filling out an application, getting accepted, is there an interview? Like, what was that piece of it? You, know, you you were you were dead set on doing it, but there's still a gatekeeper to making that happen. How did yeah, how did that process go? And and for your listeners, it's very different now because it's all online. Mm. Because telephone calls don't cost money in the United States. So back when I did it, I mean, I joined the Peace Corps in '76. During that application process. I couldn't just pick up my phone and call because it was long distance and I would get yelled Mm -hmm. at. Everything was done by typing on a typewriter and backing up the little ribbon to fix the mistake, using your whiteout, very long application. Um, uh, It it really was very similar to my college application. Hmm. Plus you had to do the background check. So everything now is, is condensed, but back then, I don't know, maybe like a half a year. Wow. To do the whole thing back and forth. So that was something that I think people give up on when an application is just so hard to get through. It's not that it's hard to join. It's that it's hard to wait. Mm-hmm. You know, when I join now, maybe it's different. Maybe you can mark off where you want to go. I just could say I want to go. I assumed I'd probably go to a South American country mm-hmm. because the Portuguese Oh, no, no, no. Why would you do something that normal and do that? So I ended up going to Africa, which was great. 
but I didn't expect that. So, you so know, when, not knowing where you're going to go. Right. That's what I was going to ask. If you, you just apply, you don't get a pick. And my understanding, at least 20 years ago, you don't get a pick. You just, you just apply and. Yeah. And one, send thing, you where the need is. one thing I didn't know, and maybe I'm glad I didn't know this was that you really do get to say no. Mm. I didn't know you could. I just thought whatever you get, you get. Kind of like mom's kitchen when you're poor. Mm-hmm. If you don't like it, don't eat, starve. So when I got my placement, I really did not know that I could go back and say, I don't want this. Can I do something else? I didn't know that. I just took it because I just wanted to join Peace Corps. So, and that's what I did. How did that work for you? You get your placement and you, you know, you're probably getting excited. What was it like for you getting that placement and going, okay, this is what I do and I'm, I'm off to go do it? Well, there are a couple of funny things. I knew I was going to teach English as a foreign language. Mm-hmm. And I kind of thought that was lame. I thought maybe I should be teaching them how to be healthy or how to grow food or or something that was really going to help someone. And at that point was the poorest country in the world. So how's English going to do that? But far be it from me to say no. So I did it. But what was really funny is we didn't have a map in my house that was recent. We had the World Book Encyclopedia. You remember? <laughs> I, no, true story. Yeah, so I and- open it up to Africa and I look at the map and Molly is not there. M-A-L-I, mm-hmm. not there. I can't find it. So I called them much to the dismay of my parents. <laughs> now you have a phone bill because you're on hold. Sure. So you can imagine calling a government agency while it goes tick, 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 tick. And I said, I got my paperwork. I'm going to Molly. It doesn't exist. And she said, oh, you're not looking at a recent map. You need to go and get a map because what you're looking at is French West Africa. Mm-hmm. They all are now individual countries. So I went to the library. I couldn't find it. I called back. And she said, well, what you need to do is to look for Timbuktu. I said, Timbuktu is not a real place. <laughs> it is. And that's where you're it going. Is. So I I was above Timbuktu. So that was pretty funny. Wow. Um, and no idea. We could take one suitcase. <laughs> so understanding that for two years, you have one suitcase to carry on. And you've got to pack your entire life. Anything you might think you might need, you got to pack in that suitcase. So that was a big challenge. Um, It was in 76 during the Montreal Olympics. They were doing all the commercials for that. And I'm going to a French-speaking country. And so, you know, we're practicing French and, and kind of connecting that way. But all the time saying, what will I need? They could not tell us, are we going to be in the capital city? We knew we'd go training there. Or were we going to be in a fishing village in the middle of nowhere? So that was a huge challenge to know, what do I bring? Now it's much easier. People have cell phones. People, uh, there's uh, currency. You can go to the bank and you can get PayPal. Nothing. Right. So that was a real challenge. So you get off the plane there and you... (laughs) Drive to wherever you're going. What are some of your first thoughts about, about oh, my gosh, am I here? I'm doing this. What What is going on? How are you feeling in that process of first well, getting there? We, we had our training in, in Atlanta. And in, in all the wisdom of the government, they thought it was a good idea to give all of us every single vaccination we needed on <laughs> one day. 
So, you know, it did not feel good. The people bumping on the plane, the fevers, low-grade fevers from all these different things that were going in on you. So that was a bit disorienting. We flew from New York to Abidjan, Ivory Coast on Pan Am, which doesn't exist anymore. We did this in one fell swoop. And we got off and the overwhelming thought was, I am in hell. This is the hottest place (laughs) on earth. And it kind of is. It was so hot in July. The French I had learned felt useless (laughs) because it was like pigeon. It wasn't Parisian French, which they aspire to learn in ninth grade French. So that was interesting to feel like I had wasted. And I hadn't wasted it. Sure. But it sure felt that way. Um, we got to, we then flew on Air Air Mali, which we call Air Maybe. <laughs> what time is the plane leaving? Well, that depends when we get enough people. That depends if someone comes to Air Maybe. So we took Air Maybe all the way to Bamako, the capital, only to find out that our luggage had all been stolen. <laughs> and they did not participate in that, um, oh, we'll reimburse you. Yeah. No, you're out of luck. Because you were flying on air, maybe. So that two, you know, that summer of I'm going to buy all these things. I'm going to pack everything I need for my whole life. Gone. Wow. Never to be seen again. And so all I had was to carry on with the weirdest things. Someone had said, Avon Skin So Soft is great against mosquitoes. So I had that. I had a Tupperware rolling pin. (laughs) And and a pad. Which... Which, Which the FFA probably wouldn't let you take on the plane now. Well, no, no, no. The Tupper rolling pin is, is, you know, like plastic. But here's the funny part. You're supposed to put ice in it mm-hmm. to weight it down. There was no ice. Seriously, ice. So I, it was the most ridiculous items that I was left with in my carry-on and not in my suitcase. But, wow. um, yeah, there were 23 of us. Hmm. And that was such a bonding. And... We just had in September our Peace Corps reunion. And so it would have been year number, you know, I don't know how many years, 47 or something like that. Wow. And there were 13 of us. That's awesome. And we were in Madison, Wisconsin, and it was so awesome sitting around the, our little fire pit in the evening and talking about all of our stories. And so, yeah, so we were all teachers of English. So tell us some of those stories. Where did you actually start, do your time in the Peace Corps? What was that like? Was there a time that you like, I need to go home? This is too uh, much. Yes. <laughs> too many stories. Well, we were in Bamako, which is the capital city. We were in um, stage training and it was a dormitory. And, and I love the first night. The first night, of course, we have no clothing and we're all shell shocked and we've been flying forever and we're all have these fevers. So, you know, not the best first time thing, but we went out on a walk and one of my first memories is walking across the bridge and looking up to a sea of bats hmm. eating all the just just bats and uh, where am i i'm not in kansas anymore <laughs> but we went back and they issued us mosquito nets because the mosquito theirs are just insane but we didn't really know how to put them together 
Here at the Crossing It Off Podcast, we are passionate about inspiring you in your bucket list lifestyle and empowering you to live out your list. We offer many resources to assist you in your bucket list journey, such as web resources in the show notes, bucket list mentoring services, my book, Live Out Your Lists, a private Facebook group for you to share your bucket list success stories with others, and more. All of these can be found at crossingitoffpodcast.com. Find the resource that fits your need so that you can live out your list. Now back to the show. So we girls were in one dorm and we decided how we would um, kind of attach them together on our beds and poles. And so we do all this and we have no clothes. And so we're all naked because it's hot and we don't have pajamas. And so what? It's just girls. I don't know who started the chain reaction. Somebody turned over knocked down her net and we're all now trapped in nets. (laughs) We're screaming, we're yelling, we're trying to get out. Yay! All come the naked men, stop the naked women's covered. So that's what my first night. (laughs) It couldn't have been more you know, worse, more funny, but it was, you know, we bonded. Um I didn't get to finish training. They decided I got really sick and they thought it was appendicitis. And I got sick on the wrong day because they only flew every other day. So Mm. I had to take um, Aeroflot. They chartered an Aeroflot jet for me and my nurse to fly, but they wouldn't fly to Germany. The wall hadn't come down yet. Mm. So we flew to Paris. And I got there after all these IVs of medication and penicillin and whatnot. And they said, oh, you don't have appendicitis. But I convinced them in my horrible French, I don't need an appendicitis. Uh, appendix. Go so ahead, take it out. Take it out. Just take it out. Look around. All I had was an infection of the small intestine, and all they had to do was wash it out with surgical soap. But I have a great scar, and I have an awesome story. And yeah, I yeah. got stuck in Paris for like eight weeks, and I got back, and they gave me a check. I go, "What is this for? You're a government employee, and you get per diem." Nice. <laughs> so I had all this money, and in between the two years, I got to travel throughout almost every West African country there was. That's on amazing. Because I had the money. So everything's about story, right? <laughs> yeah. Tell us what a day was like serving in the Peace Corps. Well, uh, you know, the first year I lived in Bamako, I lived above a French bakery. Uh, God, the smells are awesome. And it was, you know, we had electricity often. We had water often. Um, the children... I will tell you the one thing I loved about teaching there is the hierarchy is different than America. So it would go first comes Allah because it's a Muslim country, then comes teachers, then comes principal, then comes students, then come parents. Mm. I had total control. If I wanted to say, I don't think Amadou can make it through school. He needs to go on a camel back to his village. That's what would happen. So it was a really great teaching experience. My second year, uh, my boyfriend and I, who I eventually married, and I would say don't marry Peace Corps volunteers, but that's another whole story for another whole podcast. We went to Gao, which is above Timbuktu. Uh, we were we had the river about three months of the year, and after that, it was gone. We had no running water except thirty minutes a day at four thirty in the morning. If I overslept, I had no water for the day. We had no electricity. 
I had propane to boil my water or heat something. I finally said, I can't waste propane on water and I had dysentery for the rest of the time. I had a mud oven. I cut off my chicken's heads. I had to go to market every day. It was hardcore. And even the Africans today who hear the way I live, they cannot believe that an American would do this. Um, but I got up at 4.30, went to the market every single day, no refrigeration. And I had 53 kids maybe four girls and the rest were boys. Most of them were boarding because there was no high school in most cities. So they would come from their village and they would come in and they board with families mm -hmm. or in school. And I had no books. I had to write my own curriculum. Of course, I knew none of this when I said I'd go. <laughs> I didn't know that I figured out do all these things, but I did it. And what I thought was a really stupid job of English as a foreign language, it turned out to be not just rewarding for me, but for them. Because the goal, when you live in the poorest country in the world, the goal is to get out. Not so much because you don't like your family or your traditions or your history. You want to get out so you can get an education. If you can pass the baccalaureate and pass the English exam, you can get a scholarship to mm. the United States, to Canada, and Great Britain, the Holy Grail, the Trinity. And so my teaching allowed many students to pass that exam, many students to go become doctors and dentists and lawyers and, and engineers and come back to their country. Not everyone came back, but the majority did come back and be able to do something in their country they could never have done if I wasn't there. So what was the most transformative thing for you? If you if you look back and how did it, your experience change the way you view the world? That people are all the same. Mm -hmm. They really are. You know, those years living in Kansas saying, I, I don't want to be here. It's boring. It's ugly. It's, you know, anything that you're going to say as a kid, where you live isn't as important as where you read about, because I was a massive reader. And so I always wanted to go somewhere else. Well, what I learned is people are all the same. We all hurt the same. We all love the same. We all want the same. I mean, that's really what I learned. But I also learned to be so grateful. You know, I when I was 19, I ended up with a goiter out of nowhere. And, and I was choking to death. And I ultimately had a full thyroid removal. Had I been in Africa, I would be dead. Mm. My boyfriend was one of, he had polio. He had 80, he has 80% atrophy of his leg. We saw polio every single day. I saw leprosy. I saw people without limbs. The, the abject poverty and the begging. We would both be dead had we not been born in America. That was such a revelation. Hmm. But the biggest revelation is I've never, I'm now 68. So it was a long time ago, right? I have never seen such joyful people in my life. Such yeah. joyful, giving, and caring people. Literally, here's the shirt off my back. It was astounding. And as I continue to live and just see and hear so many awful stories about what happens around the world, I just wish we could all be like the people that I had the privilege of serving with and for. The joy, the smiles, the the family structure. It's a different structure. Where I live, you can have four wives. 
And so uh, you'd meet someone, they'd say, this is my brother. Same father, different mother. This is my brother. Same mother, same father. They would literally have to do that with everybody in their family. But just, yeah, I would say the joy. That's incredible. If somebody listening to this said, hmm, I would like to check out the Peace Corps, maybe that's something I would like to get super excited about at any age. What piece of advice would you give them if you could say, if you're going to join the Peace Corps, you've got to blank? You've got to understand it's never too late. You know, Mm -hmm. Jimmy Carter, mother, was in the Peace Corps, and she was in her 80s. Um, You're never too late. If you have to be a college graduate, unless you have lived experiences. So say, for instance, I grew up on on a cattle farm, and I can do all those things. They may substitute that for college, um, but it's never too late. You will make a difference, but the difference you make is all going to be in your head and your heart. Go there wherever you go. It doesn't matter. Go there with an open mind to change. And the person who will change most is you. That's be some pre- really good advice. Be prepared to wonder why in the heck did I do this? The stories I have are now they're really funny. And people say, you should write a book. <laughs> and I probably should write a book about my Peace Corps years because I have some outrageous stories I bet. that nobody has ever lived before. But just, just know that you can make a difference. You know, our lives that are so, they seem so important to us. They're really not. They're really not as big and as important as you think. But when you come back with that learned experience with the people you've met with the, what you've dealt with and what you've survived. And I do mean survive. We left Molly. The day we left, it was 130 degrees. (sighs) Remember no fan, no air conditioning, no running water. I did it. Just know that I'm in this club of people who rarely can do it. And the other thing to know is, You're a volunteer. They cannot hold you hostage. Mm. If you feel like, wow, I bit off way more than I can chew, you can leave. You will be poor. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's a volunteer. They give you enough to live, have a place to live, eat your food. I got $75 a month and I got my housing. And then $75 went into a savings account. And at the end of my time, I could take half of that which I did along with cashing in my airline ticket home. And that's how I traveled um, throughout Europe. Nice. With that money. But then when I got home, I had something to um, first and last month's rent or a beater car. You still have your school loans. They don't make you pay them during the time right. you're gone. And there's no interest. But as soon as you hit the ground, tick, 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 tick. And so it's not a way out. You're not dodging anything. You're just delaying. Thank you much, so much for sharing that experience. I appreciate it. Uh, it's something that I once looked at and have since um, moved on to other things, but I appreciate you sharing it. Carmen, what else is on your list of things to do that, you, that you're passionate about? I have been blessed to have traveled in all 50 states, to be a professional speaker, to travel many, many places around the world. And now I live back in the Midwest in (laughs) Oshkosh. And I always said I would never move in the Midwest. I would never get married again or again. I wouldn't have a dog. I had all these nevers. And here I am living in Oshkosh, 
married again with a dog. And that's another whole podcast. But my passion right now, and probably forever, is my dog. I was in a wreck. I uh, suffered a terrible brain injury and was so depressed, so suicidal. My doctor back home suggested a dog. I got the dog that saved my life. I began rescuing dogs through an organization. Before they closed, I uh, was responsible for rescuing or helping to rescue 6,500 dogs that came to Wisconsin out of Kentucky. And I wrote a book called I Chose You, Imperfectly Perfect Rescue Dogs and Their Humans. Nice. And now I'm writing book two, which is for seniors who have dogs. And I travel and I and I share and I try and give a portion of every book sold to an organization here in Wisconsin so they can rescue dogs from Alabama, dogs that will be taken to the junkyard to shot because there's just too many of them and other horrible things that people do. So I never dreamed that I would go from being an education major and doing the Peace Corps and all of the different things I've done to dogs. And people who know me, they think I'm a liar. Are you punking me? They just don't believe in doing this. Right. But it just gives me enormous satisfaction to know that there are dogs who need people. There are people who need dogs. This is not rocket science. So that's what I do. Carmen, where can people find more information about that and the other stuff that you're involved in? Yeah. Well, I have a website, obviously, CarmenLeal.com, which is C-A-R-M-E-N-L-E-A-L.com. I started a publishing company called Wagaway Publishing. And that comes from a tagline I wrote for a shelter. And it says, love is just a wag away. Mm-hmm. We know that dogs talk with their tongues. And so we see that wagging tail. We know they're happy. And love is just a wag away so wagawaypublishing.com and lots of information there awesome i will put all that in the show notes so that folks can find you very easily carmen thank you so much for being here i appreciate uh, your story and uh, the work that you've been doing for many years to help others well, thank you so thank i appreciate you so much. that and thank you for having me this was fun